0: Whenever we contract our our marketing focus and and try to niche down, there's a part of us that rebels like, oh, no, but I can help these people over here and these people over here. And and not just who does it help and who does it not help? Because so many people can legitimately say, oh, this helps a gazillion people. But who does it help best and who's most eager to, to, to really pay you for it, who loves paying you for it, who thinks they get a great deal? Hey, welcome to another episode of the Coffee Break Podcast,
1: where our mission is to share business ideas, practices, and strategies while we enjoy our cup of coffee. Today's guest is Ruben Swartz, and he's going to be talking about improving your sales process and not in a way that you probably are automatically thinking about. It is a totally different kind of mentality focusing more so on how to make it easier for people to know what the next steps are, how to take action on it. So too many times we go through a lot of painstaking time to build a product or build a service or even put a proposal together that nobody actually sees or nobody knows what to do with it. We make it overly complicated. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do that... I do want to make it easy for you to stay connected and subscribe. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe on our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook. We do a video version of this podcast every week, and I want you to be connected with it. Tons of videos on our YouTube page with information just like this and information around kind of what we do as an organization as well. Also invite you to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now. Or if you're not sure exactly which one you want to subscribe to, well, you can visit our website. Maybe somebody sent you this link and you're just not quite sure. Check out our podcast page. It's got links to all of the platforms that we're on so you can find the one that best suits you. It's all available at lockdoc.net slash podcast. Check that out. Subscribe on YouTube and Facebook. And we want to connect with you every week. We've got a brand new episode every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. But right now, grab a notebook, grab a a note on your device, take some notes, but also grab a cup of coffee because it's time for a conversation with Ruben Swartz on the Coffee Break Podcast.
0: We got so much to say. We got a podcast to make. We're sipping on lattes. And it's time for a coffee break. It's time for a coffee break.
1: Ruben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Chad. Uh, I'm excited. There's a couple of things that I check out whenever we have remote guests. One, I get to enjoy your your bookshelf. I've got a small miniature version of my bookshelf over here on the, the desk, but I can see some of the books that you have in the background. And then you have a lot of yellow books. I'm very interested. What are the mass amount of yellow literature across the top of your bookshelf?
0: That is about 25 years of National Geographic. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So this is a hobby of yours? I don't know if it's a hobby. It's just the one thing that I have been reading for 25 years, and I always make time for one way or another because it just kind of breaks me out of my bubble.
1: There you go. And you can't give up on it now. That's right. I'm, I'm committed. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, welcome to the podcast. You're joining us from Austin, Texas, um, and which is really cool. I've been there several times. I've really enjoyed the taco scene there uh, but we and, and coffee. But uh, before we get into all of the things we're going to be talking about today, we've got to do rapid fire. Five randomly selected questions just to get under your skin with an unknown point value. And we'll give you a score at the end. Are you ready? I think so. Okay, here we go. Question number one. What's your opinion on social media?
0: Can be used for good in small quantities. Okay.
1: Can be used for good in small quantities. I like it. What, why, give me some little more, a little additional context to that. I think there's
0: something really powerful about social media. It's sort of in between one-on-one and mass communications Mm -hmm. and it's great for things like baby pictures and letting your family know what you're up to and certain things on linkedin i've had amazing conversations following things on twitter can be really informative if you follow the right people and at the same time i think like any medium the people who game it for most attention are going to start dominating the the overall picture and maybe not lead to such healthy uh media habits it's kind of like food right like Mm -hmm. almost any food chocolate chip cookies are great in small quantities but they're so addictive it's a lot easier to eat a whole plate of them than to eat your broccoli and then you end up maybe not so healthy
1: yeah i'm not a big fan of chocolate chip cookies but there is a little a local bakery that does these maple brown sugar cookies with a cream cheese Mm -hmm. icing and yes, I can agree on the same concept. If I sat and <laughs> ate lots of those, it would be bad. So I try to min- minimize it to one a day. Uh, but anyways, the uh, it, I think it's an inter- interesting concept, and I think I've been on one side of the pendulum or another with social media. It can be so it can be so time consuming, but it is also a great if you can if you figure out kind of whatever that formula is that works for you. It's a great component of your personal brand or your business brand. Right. Uh, but I think it's, it's, I think a lot of people swing on it is everything or it's nothing. Um, but I do think it's a, it is a component of it used wisely. Maybe that's a, a
0: I think you said something important it, when it's an extension of you, mm-hmm. right. You are connecting with people, the way you would in real life you just happen to do it online that's great i think what happens is a lot of people put on masks or mm-hmm. put on some version of themselves that maybe they wish they had in real life and and that they just kind of fall down a rabbit hole
1: Ooh, well i mean that could be a whole podcast in and of itself but we'll, we'll let's move on to the second question of, of <laughs> rapid fire how long did it take for you to come up with your current signature
0: are we talking about my the way I write or my email signature? Just I, checking.
1: Ed, these are really random questions, so I have no idea. You
0: can choose think, which way you want to go with it. I think my signature took about three seconds to come up with, and people <laughs> always ask me if I'm a doctor when they see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's very, very easy to replicate. Okay, question number three. If you had an extra hour of day that had to be allocated to one specific person, how, or specific purpose,
0: How would you use it? Oh gosh! Um, Right now, I would probably use it to work.
1: Mm. To just
0: work in general. Like if I could have one hour with no one interrupting me, Mm. I would like spend that on deep work.
1: Mm. I like it. If I had one hour every day that I could be allocated to one specific person or purpose, I would choose exercise. Because that's the one thing that I feel like always gets squashed out of out of the day, like some type of a physical or mental
0: exercise. I, you know, I've been there, and one of the things that I did is I started putting that on my calendar, even at the expense of work. Oh yeah, even at the expense of anything else. So, so I'm now in a place where I'm not exactly in rock star shape or anything, but five years ago, that would have been my answer.
1: Yeah, because you just had to make it part of your day. Yeah. Well, maybe that's part of, maybe that's part of the, the magic question there. All right. Question number four, what's one thing that you think you should be doing more often? Meditating. Okay. I do. I listened to a, uh, I was, I'm, I'm in the middle of a book right now and it was talking about intentional time to think, setting that aside as part of your leadership, um, uh, mantra right or your your just overall schedule is having set aside time to think and and i think it's something that's definitely overrated uh or is it underrated right that we we just don't make it a priority which is is really cool okay last question question number 5 what's your story about a time that you broke the
0: law i've never broken the law i'm an angel really um i don't know i'd say there's a bunch of speed limits that that might have <laughs> potentially been bent or broken or something like that.
1: So that That's the worst is just some speeding limits. Speed, speed yeah. Limits. I mean,
0: I, I don't think I've done anything too terrible. Um, uh, You know, have I inhaled? Yes. I don't know whether that, I guess technically that's some people would consider that worse than a speed limit, but.
1: <laughs> I don't even know that I've, I don't, I'm sure that there's plenty of things, but I can't, nothing can come to mind, or nothing that I've ever been caught for, so, besides Yeah, as far as we know. As far as we know. Okay, great. Uh, Well, they're random questions, and they're rapid fire, so thank you very much for participating. We'll give you a score of 894. Congratulations. Oh, excellent. Well, let's let's get into the conversation today. So, you've got a couple of different things going on uh, in your world. I want to kind of break into it, because I think uh, we were just chatting a little bit before we started recording, and I one of the interesting things and maybe this will be kind of the point of the conversation today so you know just trying to start with the point and then we'll kind of unpack it you can have the greatest product or the greatest service in the world but if you don't have a client base then you're immediately set up for failure right um, so I, so that's that's kind of the point in the topic that we're going to get to why how is
0: that relevant to you ruben well i think there's so many people who love doing what they do, serving their clients, but hate the process of getting clients. Mm-hmm. It feels icky. It feels gross. They're really uncomfortable with it, so I'm told. And so they kind of sit there and hope that a referral is going to come in this week. Mm-hmm. And I did that for years. And the, the deep irony for me was I was a sales and marketing consultant for the Fortune 500. I was helping some of the most successful companies on the planet do better at sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And yet my own sales and marketing was terrible. Yeah. And part of that was I was trying to do it the way my clients were doing it, just at a smaller scale. So the strategies, the tactics, the tools, all that, I was like, well, obviously they're the best and I'm helping them even get better. So I should kind of distill that down and and use a miniature version of it Mm -hmm. versus it's a whole different game. For example, if you have a thousand person sales team, and half of those people aren't even going to be there in two years. You just know that, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just the way the, the cookie crumbles as it were versus this is my company. It's my name on the door. It's my reputation on the line with each project. Mm-hmm. Half of me isn't supposed to be gone in two years. There's a very different way of approaching things. Things aren't just numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think people kind of get caught up in that and think, well, gosh, you know, I don't want to, don't want to be salesy. Don't want to be pushy feel uncomfortable with sales. So they kind of don't sell. They just wait on their heels for things to happen. And if you do a good work, like, thank goodness we did good work. We got repeat business. We got word of mouth, et cetera. And I know so many people in that state, like they, they get that, Mm -hmm. but they're not in control of their destiny. First of all, it's very stressful, especially if you're like trying to make payroll and, and you haven't got that referral coming in. Sure. And then I think to the, to the heart of the issue, these are people who really care about serving the people that they can help. Mm-hmm. And they're limiting how many people and how deeply they can help them because they're not being intentional about it. They're waiting for it to come to them instead of saying, hey, I've got something to offer. Yeah. Let's go do this.
1: Uh, it's, this is very relevant, Ruben. I, probably more relevant than you know, especially in our own organization. And I, I know Dan is over in the control room right now recording this, and hopefully he has the ability to throw this out on the speakers inside of our conference room and in, in the building because this is something I would, that we struggle with inside of, of some of the things that we're doing, we're developing certain things, working on certain things. And it's also, but, but we also spend so much time doing the, that, that it, we, we lose focus or we don't put enough priority on how do we bring it to market? So it's, it's all these great things in the corner, but how do we get it out of the corner to market, bring on clients, share the correct information and get uh, other people excited about using that product that we've so, spent so much energy trying to develop.
0: I think that's a great point. And the deeper your expertise is, whether it's a product or a software or a service or whatever, the easier it is to kind of get down the expert rabbit hole, mm-hmm. mm. which is fine. Or like you want the person who really knows what they're doing and cares about all the details. But sometimes you get so into that and all of us have that mental image of the bad salesperson or the sleazy marketing person. And I think, especially amongst what I would call sort of the expert tribe, the people who have that deep, deep domain knowledge, the deep customer knowledge, we we tend to overemphasize our, our sort of recall bias, if you will, of the sleazy salesperson, the sleazy marketing person. And we think that sales and marketing is somehow the enemy where it doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, Bob Berg, the co-author of The Go-Giver, was on my podcast, and he said, Ruben, you don't hate sales. You hate what you mistakenly think sales is, mm. which is absolutely true. And it's just more convenient for me mentally as a shorthand to say, yeah, actually, I just hate sales. I like helping people. I hate marketing, but I like teaching people. And no, so yeah. I think it's like, how do we how do we bring the, the service mission out of the back room and have it be the sales and marketing effort. So we're one person the whole time.
1: Okay, so you just just hit on a couple of things, getting stuck down the expert rabbit hole, having that expert tribe, understanding that side of it, but also even at a point, it makes it hard for the end consumer to digest what exactly it is that they're supposed to do. And there, I know there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of content on those types of things, talking about the the curse of knowledge and talking to a, too much a high level. And, and I, I think that you're referencing some of that, but I also think that it's just more so you're, you're, uh, what i'm hearing you say is you're more so just kind of stuck in your in in what you believe to be true because you know the product you know what you're working on and you just don't want to sound like you're just trying to sell something to sell something because at the heart of it you're you've built this or you've you've put all the effort in because you believe that it actually is going to help somebody
0: so how to That's convey, right. how to convey that help versus try to convey the sell but of course what tends to happen is you do all that and because i think to your point maybe you haven't paid as much attention to the market as you should, you're not real clear on exactly what the market is. So you spend a lot of time kind of fighting with people, even though you're quote unquote anti-sales, you're still fighting with people who maybe aren't really in your market because you haven't spent the time and energy to really be specific about who you're supposed to serve. And then you have these sort of tricky sales conversations that don't go so well. And then you think, gosh, it kind of just reinforces the vicious cycle versus if you can think about the easy sales cycles that don't feel like sales, whether you're the one selling or you're the one buying, we've had experiences where we bought something. Mm -hmm. It could be from a waiter or it could be from some store down the street. We didn't even realize that there was a quote unquote salesperson involved. There was just someone there helping us and we were super excited to buy. If we can do that, then it doesn't feel like we're actually selling anything. Mm. But we've got to do a little bit of work to your point about engaging with the market and figuring out who we should be talking to and who we shouldn't be talking to. Uh, You know, I think you said something about sometimes you can talk in a way that the market doesn't understand because you have too much expertise. It's like if you go to the doctor for knee surgery and they start using all the Latin terms for what what they're working on and you have no idea, you're like, doc, am I going to be able to play basketball again? right? And if they say yes, then you're happy. If they say no, then you're not. And all the other Latin stuff doesn't actually matter.
1: We understand the frustrations HOA board members and property managers face when deciding the best solution for their HOA and pool security. Should we use a keypad, hand out keys, or install a key card system? Do we even need cameras? These are some of the questions that are difficult to navigate, and we're here to help. At LockDock Security, we've spent over 20 years working with homeowners associations and property managers to find the system that best fits the pool and HOA needs, camera systems for the front gate or front entrance, key card systems for the pool gates, or simply updating the gate so that it meets safety and code compliance. We like to take the guesswork out of the process to answer any questions and help find the right solution. Our mission is to help you protect your people and your property, and that includes pools. Contact our team today to schedule your free consultation for your community. So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you. Understanding your ideal customer base, right? So, you, and you've said this a couple of times, understanding who you should sell to and who you shouldn't sell to. I'm, I've never really processed that before, but I think it's it's a very, very valid understanding. How much time are we wasting trying to make our product or our service or our solution fit the wrong customer. And that probably is a huge component of where you would feel like it's too salesy because you're just trying to, (laughs) you're trying to bring out the quirks and tricks to try to make it feel like it's going to fit this person, but really they're not the ideal client. So you're just
0: kind of wasting your energy as a whole. You're wasting your energy, not just on them, but then the next person you go to, you've kind of got that negative vibe going Mm. on. And instead of spending time helping somebody that you could really help or working on your product or exercising or meditating or whatever it is, you've kind of spent an hour, not just wasted on somebody who shouldn't be there, but you've kind of brought your energy level down.
1: So, it's a good question to start with. Who does this help and who does this not help? Is that that kind of a a a, just a mental framework to kind of start
0: your your understanding of. Yeah, I think that's really important, and not just who does it help and who does it not help, because so many people can legitimately say, "Oh, this helps a gazillion people." Sure, but who does it help best, and who's most eager to, to to really pay you for it? Who loves paying you for it? Who thinks they get a great deal? Right. The way I I I think I became convinced because I was telling my customers this for years, and at the same time struggling with it myself. I I think we have this. Evolutionary wiring that makes it hard for us to limit ourselves. We're wired for scarcity. And so whenever we contract our, our marketing focus and, and try to niche down, there's a part of us that rebels, like, oh no, but I can help these people over here and these people over here. And and you know, like I help so many people. And that may be true, but The way I kind of got around that wiring in my own head was to think instead of small versus large market, Mm -hmm. because really even the small, small, small market is great. And you can always expand from there, right? Like that's BS. That's not really the problem. It's just my own head talking. But do I want sales and marketing to be easy or hard? And I know that I hate it when it's hard and that, that's the thing that sucks. That's the whole thing that I'm trying to get away from versus when it's so easy, it doesn't even feel like sales and marketing. That's great. That's fun. So instead of thinking, am I going to have a small market or a large market? Let's think of it as, do I want sales and marketing to be easy and fun or do I want it to be this awful slog?
1: Yeah. And, and in order for it to be easy and fun, it's understanding your ideal client, your ideal customer and, and understanding who this fits Who's ready to who's ready to engage with it and and consume it effectively no matter what it is if it's if it's the latest greatest hamburger out there or if it's the latest service and and product that you've been working hard on for several years that's right so walk me through your story because it as i was doing some research on it it seems like you you were working on something that you were trying a, a problem that you were trying to solve and and i I, maybe as is if i understand it correctly as you started to to build that product it was okay well now how do i connect the product with the with the right clients
0: well i don't want to bore your listeners to tears with the full story but i eventually got a little bit better at sales and marketing i started sucking less because i would just start being myself Mm -hmm. instead of trying to impersonate the very successful salespeople that i worked with at my clients But I still had this problem of sending a proposal, having the meeting to discuss the proposal, get rescheduled, and then calling and leaving those voicemails like, hey, just wondering if you had any questions about the proposal. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's like, this is really lame. And I thought, well, gosh, I'm a tech guy. If I put the proposal in the cloud, I could at least know if somebody's read it. And so I was like, okay, well, let's try that. Mm -hmm. And so I remember getting a notification email from my system and I call the guy up and he says, hey, I'm so glad you called. I was just reading your proposal. And I had gone from being really bad at writing proposals to actually being pretty good at writing proposals. Like, hey, this looks great. I want to do this. There's a couple of things I want to clarify. And we discussed making a couple of tweaks to the language to make it more specific here and there. And he said, send me a new version when you get the chance. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, if you go back and look, I've made those changes. He's like, wow, that's really cool. And I didn't even have a signature then. He just clicked the accept button. And I was like, wow, that was really nice. We spent five minutes doing five minutes worth of work so we can get to the project, which is what we care about. Instead of a month of back and forth where it can go sideways or who knows what's going to happen. right? And I wasn't even thinking of this as, oh, this is going to be a product that I sell to people. It was just like a thing to make my life easier. It wasn't a sales tool. It was was like a service thing just so I could get to the project. But I started telling some people about this and they're like, hey, that's really cool. Can I have that? (laughs) And so, I was like, well, gosh, you know, I'm a software guy. Like, really, I don't want to be doing anything other than building software. So, sure, that sounds like a good idea. And then I did exactly what you were referring to, right? I started trying to figure out who would be a good fit for this. And, of course, I made a ton of mistakes. Yeah. And I had people who were eager and happy to pay me who actually weren't the right fit. Mm -hmm. Which made it challenging, and eventually I kind of figured out, hey, it's other people like me. It's these independent consultants who don't have a sales team. They're not doing sales full time. HubSpot and Salesforce and all these other tools are overkill for them. They need a certain set of things that, that I, like I really thought was out there in the market. I never set out to build my own CRM. In fact, when my customers kept asking me to make this a CRM because it was it was kind of designed as a set of tools to get you leads and do proposals and all that. And it would plug into your CRM. Yeah. And people would be like, well, but I hate my CRM. Can you make Memorand do the stuff in the middle? And I'd be like, the world does not need another CRM. Yeah. And if they did, I would not be the person to make it. And I keep looking and looking and I'm searching and I just can't freaking find it. And finally, I'm like, okay, maybe I should listen to my customers mm-hmm. who can't find it either. And let's do this the way that we think we should do this for this particular tribe. Yeah,
1: man, I, you, you're hitting on all kinds of really fun buttons. So I, I and I'm trying to not get too giddy about it, but here's <laughs> the situation. I think you just hit on something very interesting, especially from the sales side of things. I want to bring this into the service world. Okay. Small, medium sized business. Okay. We're, we're a, a business, we've got 41 employees, uh, over, over two branches, Um, and we're working on servicing clients on a regular basis. We have a sales force. We have three full-time salespeople. The process of putting a proposal together, getting it to the client, like we've worked on that process. We've worked on that process. That was solid. Like gather information, put it in a proposal, create a nice PDF, beautiful document, email out. End of cycle for us. And so you, some of the things that you just said. So at that point, a traditional sales cycle is, at that point, it's follow-up calls, follow-up emails. Do you have questions? Do you have any – what's What's your timeline? What's the next steps? All of those things, right? And it's so, one, dated. But two, I think in, unless you have – and I think this is the struggle that a lot of people have, especially if it is your own business and you're the only salesperson – How much time do you have to dedicate to all of those proposals that you sent out and then all of the time that you that you're following up? And the question that I posed our staff uh, a while back was, how many of the proposals are we putting together that we don't know if anybody ever saw? Okay, so at that point, let's just throw a number out there. Say it's 30 percent, 30 percent of all the proposals that we ever sent out there. Nobody ever saw. How much of that time is value added and value invested because it's it's never been seen it was just an exercise that you went through and then crumbled it up in the trash in in a, in a big ball and threw it in the trash can is effectively what you did so what you just described was more and more cohesive flow that says i have put this proposal together i've tweaked the proposal language now i can actually see in real time has the customer seen it and what can i do about it at that point is that what i just heard you say
0: that's what i heard that that's absolutely right and one thing i would say is whether or not you're using some fancy tool don't write a proposal until you have a meeting scheduled to review it and that way people who are just asking for a proposal to be polite will hem and haw and say let me get back to you or whatever and the people who really want a proposal will figure out how to put it on their calendar because that's important to them
1: so with this. So you've created the, you're helping people understand the flow because at, at the end of the day, in a entire sales cycle, I think that we have all experienced this. And maybe this was going back to what you were talking about before somebody that's there and eager and ready to help and service you. And then those bad bad purchasing cycles that it's just like, I'm ready to buy this, but I can't Find anybody to actually take my money. Like I, right. I have it here. I'm ready to give it to somebody, and I can't get anybody to help. So you've got some extremes there. Um, you know when you're when you're working through clients or working with clients on that. So how do you break that down and I'm I'm just trying to get some concepts here. You've got your your proposal or at least the information gathering stage. You've got the proposal, you've got a a presentation meeting to review the proposal and then stages outside of that. What are what are your how are you advising that simple process? So I want to give this a two-part question because it seems like there's a process to flow there, but also how do you adapt that for uh different industries that have different variations of proposal sizes so for our for instance in our business proposals range from a few hundred dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars do you need to follow up a proposal review meeting with a few hundred dollar estimate every single one of them so that's a two-part question
0: Sure. And I guess some of it is going to depend on the relationship you have with the client. And especially if you've done the, you know, $300,000 proposal and then they say, hey, we need a few hundred dollars more key cards. Sure. I would almost think of that more as a quote, yeah. which, you know, is is kind of like just a, a naked proposal with numbers and pricing and, and not any, you know, not, not the whole context versus the $300,000 initial project needs to be a proposal. They need, it's not just a, a list of parts. It, they need to understand how the whole thing gets solved. So mm-hmm. I think you can have different levels of an engagement for different types of projects and different types of relationships. Now, if it's the first time you talk to that customer and they're like, start us off with $500 worth of key cards or whatever it is, mm-hmm. then yeah, absolutely. Let's make sure that you've got that done and if of course if you can automate it you may be able to do that right there on that call mm-hmm. so that you're kind of reviewing it and they can just sign off on it right away but yeah i think anytime you can you can make it easy for them to buy not force them to buy not put high pressure on them right they may still have to go talk to their boss or whatever the right thing is for them but don't don't put obstacles in the way of them getting what they need make it easy to buy
1: so uh, let me give an example of that, because this is something that, that we've fought against for years. So I was explaining our process before we, we email that pretty PDF. Once a, a customer, a client decided, hey, yes, we want to move forward with this. Again, not making it easy. We were making it complicated. You have to either figure out a way to digitally sign it yourself or print it off, sign it, scan yep. it, send it back, all those things. And so there was a massive barrier there. And so we were looking at it from our perspective going, well, I, and I, I I try to put myself in those shoes a lot of times. If that was what was expected of me <laughs> to be able to sign a proposal, we would get nothing signed because that's way too many steps and I'm going to get mm-hmm. distracted before I get down that path. So how many of our clients are running through that same thing? Like, yeah, I got that email. Awesome. you You sent the email very fast. That's great. But now I've got to go through 12 steps to actually approve this and get it back to you. So when am I going to actually do that? I don't know. So how do you right. make, how do you kind of
0: reduce those barriers? Well, I think the step one is instead of just sending a PDF, if you can send something, whether it's in Memorand or some other tool where they can sign it electronically, that's really helpful. And the other thing I would say about PDF, that it's maybe a, bit a little bit less relevant with everybody dealing with COVID for the past couple of years, but it's often not the best reading experience on a mobile device. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the decision makers are running around trying to catch up on their paperwork between meetings on their phones. So let's make it easy for them to read and understand and sign this on any wherever they might be, right? Like let's not make it. And and this is something that that's kind of a bugaboo of mine, both on the proposal side and on the lead magnet side on people's websites is like they put so much energy into this beautiful 12 page PDF Mm -hmm. that looks gorgeous on your big monitor. And then when, prospects are trying to read it they're like pinching and zooming and all that and then they finally get real frustrated when they're on their phone which is where they're actually trying to read it yep
1: and and trying to navigate it around and understand exactly what it is that I'm supposed to do next because because it's yeah you've sent me 13 pages of of PDF that I can't I, there's nothing that I can do on this mobile device so let's just let's just move it off and again that's kind of I, man this is validating a lot of thoughts right because in that in that instance you've just You've just put that as a to-do item for later. If you right. if you can present it to where you can take action on it right then, you're reducing that barrier again, making it easy to buy because you're going, oh, okay, completely understand. I'll, I'll give you an example of this, and maybe this is on track, maybe this is off track. I recently had a vehicle serviced. You've had a, if you've ever had a vehicle serviced before, right? uh you might get a service call back and say yeah these are all the 22 things that you need and you got to replace all these filters and blah 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 and if you're if you're like me i zone out about 12 seconds in and I, and the question that i ask is okay how much is it right right like because that's what I'm, that's that's ultimately what you, you're just trying to give me a list of parts to, to replace i recently had an experience where the service provider gave i had two different experiences one they did a video and one they did photos but mm-hmm. I, I got a text message link on my device that said your service, uh, your service whatever is ready to to review. You click on it and it was a video of the service tech going around the vehicle saying, you know, here's your tire uh measurements, here's your brake measurements, here's this, blah, 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 blah. All of the things that we've just checked. And here's what you need to take action on. If you want to do it, m- hit approve. Right totally different experience. And so if you compare those two things back and forth, it's something easy to take action on. You understand exactly. There's no question about what's what's wrong or what's going on because it's all in, in video proof or photo proof, and then you can take action on it. How do we make that? How do we take that process to all of our businesses? Because that's ultimately what all consumers want to know is how can I easily take action on this?
0: Sure. Well, a couple things. I think. One is we have to make sure that we are talking in their language. So one of the things that I say, we're kind of fixating on the proposal part of the whole sales and marketing process here, but that's all right. The proposal is a story, not a brochure. And the hero of the story is the buyer, not the seller. All too often, you see these proposals where it's like 20 pages of brochure. And it's like, I have no idea if this person even understands my problem, like I thought we had a great conversation Mm -hmm. and now I get this brochure and they're asking for $200,000 or whatever it is, Mm. but like, I'm not feeling good. And then people, the sellers complain, oh, they just go on price. Well, that's because that's the only thing you've given them that they can understand and compare. Mm. Versus you tell the story from their perspective where you are the sort of the Obi-Wan Kenobi to their Luke Skywalker, and they should be able to read through the proposal in a couple of minutes and say, yeah, you you get it you understand why we're in this situation, what we're trying to do. You're showing me how we we achieve what we want. Mm-hmm. And here's the investment, which hopefully is not the cheapest option, but is the thing that that they know is going to get them where they need to go. And then we can also do things like you say with the the car dealer, like put some video in. If you're doing the proposal online, put some video in there. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just you talking saying, hey, I'm so glad that we got connected. Let me know if you have any questions on this proposal. Something that that- lets them know there's a human who gives a damn Mm -hmm. on the other end Mm -hmm. kind of like the car technician right there's nothing really different about the information that he gave you versus the other one like he could show you a picture of something he could show me you know a spark plug and call it something else and i wouldn't even know but the fact that he's there giving a damn is what i care about yeah
1: can you copy this key that's a question we get asked about 3,422 times a year And how can you actually be sure that the person who asked that question is supposed to get a copy of that key? Well, we think you should always know who can copy your keys to your business and your home, because it could be your neighbor, an old employee, a contractor, or even worse, your mother-in-law. At LockDock Security, we believe in protected key systems. So you always know who has a copy of your key to find out more, visit LockDock.net or stop by our Charlotte location. LockDock Security, helping you protect your people, and your property. So I'm trying to figure out a way to wrap a bow on this thing because we're. I think there's a lot of good information here, and and I, what I'm hearing. So I'll try to do a recap of what I'm hearing and maybe how people can take action on it. One, understanding your your product, understanding how it impacts your customer, and then understanding who the right fit is for your for your customer. Who's the ideal customer base for you, and also who you need to. Not sell to who? Who does this not fit? Um, and and having very having having good clarity on that. Um, getting to a point of understanding, how can you tell a story of how this proposal is going to improve whatever it is that you've been discussing with it? Understanding that you're an advocate for them, and then making it easy, kind of removing some of those barriers on how what are the clear next actions so that we can we can move forward on this.
0: That's right. What I think that extends all the way to the beginning of you you find who your market is. The, The website is another story, not a brochure, also starring the customer. The lead magnets you offer are offering value to your ideal prospect right away before they've even spoken to you. Then you can have a nice conversation about the subject of the lead magnet, which is a topic you're both passionate about it. doesn't have to be a sales call. And then when the time is right, the right people are going to say, hey, can you send me a proposal? And all that other stuff kicks in. Yeah. Man,
1: I, I, I like this. This is a lot of good information. So, I want to also focus on, you have a platform that helps make this, this process a lot easier for, for clients. That's right. Tell us a, a little bit about that and how it, how it works.
0: Sure. So, Mimer and I call it the anti-CRM for independent consultants who love serving clients but hate selling. Okay. And it's sort of the CRM that I wished I'd had when I was struggling to use Salesforce and other enterprise tools when I was uh, an independent consultant. And so, it does a lot of things that, that traditional sales tools don't do. Right? It's got a whole different take on lead magnets and, and keeping up with people and it tracks your referrals and it automates your proposals and so on. But mostly, it has a whole bunch of stuff that's not there to just make it easy for you to drop in if you've got 30 minutes or a couple hours in a day to do business development, how can I be most effective with that time? Because I'm busy with clients. I'm not spending my whole day just doing sales Mm -hmm. and I don't have a sales team. So most of the traditional CRMs are built for the VP of sales to, keep track of their sales team. And then the sales team tries to avoid being kept track of, and that's a whole other story. But this is, you're both the VP of sales and the sales rep, essentially, as the business owner, and you're doing them both part-time. So how can we make that process as easy and as fun and productive as possible?
1: I like it. And you have a course on this as well. You've got a podcast. There's a lot of information that that helps people with this, with uh, improving their sales process
0: as a whole. That's right. So uh, I I spent so much time helping people with proposals. It turns out that I I actually created an online course, which is now on sale, 80% off on AppSumo. And I think we'll have a link to that in the show notes and i've got a podcast as well sales for nerds and i love the coffee break podcast i love that we can do it early in the morning on my podcast we drink wine so we have to schedule it a little differently
1: <laughs> I, I i could see that that's that would definitely be a thing well man i i definitely appreciate it lots of good information here um, it's it's even challenging kind of our thought process on how our our portal is is looking and working for our customers and how we can make it even more so focused on uh kind of the story that we're trying to solve and and bring that to light so definitely appreciate your time today and information and look forward to staying connected with you and and uh and and continuing to improve on basically the customer experience for uh for our clients awesome chad it's been such a pleasure ruben thanks again for your time today man it was awesome uh I've got a a page of notes here. I'm enjoying taking notes on these podcasts and then applying them in our business, sharing them with some team members here as well. Lots of good insights from our guests that we've had over the past several months. Make sure you go back and check out the other episodes as well. Lots of good information on productivity management. Uh, Man, on, uh, on just staying focused on yourself as an individual, understanding your blind spots. There's lots of really good information on our previous podcast, and we've got tons of great guests lined up for the future. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. There's a new one every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. We'll see you next time right here on the Coffee Break Podcast.